0: Reflecting on Four Years in the West My first experience of a Western church was an interesting one. A Lutheran church was located near the refugee detention center in Germany. On Sunday mornings I attended the service to be with the other believers on the Lord's Day and to try to pick up some German by mimicking the preacher's words. After what I was used to in China, I found these church meetings strange indeed. I sat on the front pew of the huge old building right in front of a high platform that the minister, fully arrayed in ecclesiastical robes, climbed onto in order to preach. He always looked directly at me when he spoke. Despite the size of the sanctuary, the congregation consisted of just a handful of gray-haired old ladies. The pastor and the old ladies seemed to like me. Although we couldn't communicate verbally, we smiled at each other. I had the impression the pastor thought it was cute that a poor, smiling Chinese man came and sat in his church every Sunday morning. Some time later, I was again sitting on the front row of a western church, but a very different scene from the Lutheran church in Germany. I was about to speak in Times Square Church in New York City. My eyes were as wide as saucers as I took in the amazing scene before me. A large multi-ethnic choir, arrayed in robes, swayed and sang to Jesus with all their hearts. Behind me, several thousand New Yorkers declared the praises of God from the depths of their souls. Of the hundreds of churches I've been honored to preach in throughout the Western world, I would have to say Times Square Church is one of my favorites. It has an atmosphere of grace and fire that sweeps visitors off their feet, and a spirit of truth and receptiveness that makes people's hearts supple and eager to hear God's Word. When I'm at that big church in the center of New York, I can close my eyes and feel as if I'm back in China again. About six months after my arrival in Frankfurt, I was granted refugee status by the German government and was given a travel document. Some Western friends visited me. We prayed to discern God's purpose in bringing me out of China and how we could work together for the glory of God. We also sought the Lord for wisdom about how to bring my wife and children to Germany so we could start our new life together. In May 1999, Duling, Isaac, and Eileen traveled through southwest China into the country of Myanmar, formerly called Burma, where they were to stay for what we expected to be a short time until the necessary paperwork was prepared to bring them to Germany. The Lord opened doors for me to share in many churches in the west. I traveled with my faithful Scandinavian friend who translated for me wherever I went. This is the same brother I met in Guilin City years before when God bonded our hearts together to serve the Lord. Over the next few years we traveled extensively in Europe, Asia, and North America, challenging God's people to pray for and to partner the Chinese house churches so that together all of China will be reached and we will see the kingdom of God established all the way back to Jerusalem. I visited my family frequently in Myanmar but getting them out of that country proved far more difficult and painstaking than we first imagined. Because of the delays, my family settled into a room at a Bible school and my children started to attend a public school. Before I traveled to the West, I had absolutely no idea that so many churches were spiritually asleep. I presume the Western church was strong and vibrant because it had brought the gospel to my country with such incredible faith and tenacity. Many missionaries had shown a powerful example to us by laying down their lives for the sake of Jesus. On some occasions I've struggled while speaking in Western churches. There seems to be something missing that leaves me feeling terrible inside. Many meetings are cold and lack the fire and presence of God that we have in China. In the West, many Christians have an abundance of material possessions, yet they live in a backslidden state. They have silver and gold, but they don't rise up and walk in Jesus' name. In China we have no possessions to hold us down, so there's nothing preventing us from moving out for the Lord. The Chinese church is like Peter at the beautiful gate. When he saw the crippled beggar he said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Acts chapter 3 verse 6. In a similar way, I pray that God might use the Chinese church to help the Western church rise up and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's almost impossible for the church in China to go to sleep in its present situation. There's always something to keep us on the run, and it's very difficult to sleep while you're running. If persecution stops, I fear we'll become complacent and fall asleep. Many pastors in Europe and America have told me they want to see great revival. I'm frequently asked why China is experiencing revival, but most places in the West are not. This is a big question to answer, but some reasons are very apparent to me. When I'm in the West, I see all the mighty church buildings and all the expensive equipment, plush carpets and state-of-the-art sound systems. I can assure the Western church with absolute certainty that you don't need any more church buildings. Church buildings will never bring the revival you seek. The pursuit of more possessions will never bring revival. Jesus truly stated, A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Luke chapter 12 verse 15. The first thing needed for revival to return to your churches is the word of the Lord. God's word is missing. Sure, there are many preachers and thousands of tapes and videos of Bible teaching, but so little contains the sharp truth of God's word. It's the truth that will set you free. Not only is knowledge of God's Word missing, but obedience to that Word. There's not much action taking place. When revival came to believers in China, the result was thousands of evangelists being sent out to all corners of the nation, carrying fire from the altar of God with them. When God moves in the West, it seems you want to stop and enjoy His presence and blessings too long and build an altar to your experiences. You can never really know the Scriptures until you're willing to be changed by them. All genuine revivals of the Lord result in believers responding with action and soul-winning. When God truly moves in your heart, you cannot remain silent. There will be a fire in your bones, like Jeremiah who said, His word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in, indeed, I cannot. Jeremiah chapter 20 verse 9 Furthermore, it's only when we step out in obedience and share the gospel with people that we come to know God's blessing in every area of our lives. That is why the Apostle Paul wrote to his co-worker Philemon. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith, so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. I've seen people in Western churches worshipping as if they are already in heaven. Then someone invariably brings a comforting message like, My children, I love you. Don't be afraid, I'm with you. I'm not opposed to such words, but why is it that nobody seems to hear a word from the Lord like, My child, I want to send you to the slums of Asia or the darkness of Africa to be my messenger to people dying in their sin. Multitudes of church members in the West are satisfied with giving their minimum to God, not their maximum. I've watched men and women during offering time in church they open their fat wallets and search for the smallest amount they can give. This type of attitude will never do. Jesus gave his whole life for us, and we give as little of our lives, time and money as we can back to God. What a disgrace! Repent! This may sound strange, but I even miss the offerings we used to give in China. On numerous occasions, the leader of a meeting would announce, We have a new worker who is leaving tomorrow to serve the Lord. Immediately every single person would completely empty their pockets of everything they had. With that money the worker would buy a train or bus ticket and leave the next day. Often this money was not just everything we had in our pockets at the time, but everything we owned in the whole world. Just because you have a church building doesn't necessarily mean Jesus is with you. He is not welcome in many churches today. In Revelation chapter 3 verse 20, Jesus said, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, and he with me. Often this verse is used as an invitation for salvation, but actually the context Jesus was speaking in was very different. He was standing outside the door of the church in Laodicea, knocking to get in. Of course, not all Western churches are asleep. Of all the strong churches I have visited in the West, I've noticed one thing they all have in common a strong and sacrificial commitment to missions among unreached nations. I'm not talking just about local outreach, or even attempts to start churches in other cities in your nation. I'm talking about a heart to establish God's kingdom in the most gospel-starved and spiritually dark areas of the world, where nobody has ever heard the name of Jesus. When you start putting your time, prayers, and finances there, you will soon experience God's blessing on the work of your hands. The Great Commission has not changed. There are many churches trying to create a heaven here on earth, but until the Western Church obeys the Great Commission and takes the gospel to the ends of the earth, people are just playing with God and are not really serious about the truth. Many churches look beautiful on the outside but are dead where it counts on the inside. If you truly want to see God move, the two main things you must do is learn the Word of God and have the obedience to do what God tells you to do. In Finland in 1999, I was asked to be one of the main speakers at a conference attended by about 1,000 church leaders. The main speaker was a well-known American preacher. Every time he spoke, it was about the love and goodness of God. During the prayer time, everyone fell down on the floor and laughed. After I spoke, I commanded people to kneel down at the foot of the cross of Jesus, and they wept. Tears always come first before the Lord truly moves. He will never pour his blessing out on unsanctified and selfish flesh. The cross of Jesus must be at the center of everything we do. If you do these things, you will see revival. Are you willing to give your all to God and to his service? Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Daniel chapter 12 verse 3. Many Christians have also asked me why miracles and signs and wonders are so prevalent in China, but not so evident in the West. In the West you have so much. You have insurance for everything. In a way, you don't need God. When my father was dying of stomach cancer, we sold everything we had to try to cure him. When everything was gone, we had no hope but God. We turned to him in desperation and saw him mercifully answer our prayers and heal my father. We reasoned that if God could do that then he could do anything. So our faith grew and we've seen many miracles. In China, the greatest miracles we see are not the healings or other things, but lives transformed by the gospel. We believe we're not called to follow signs and wonders, but instead the signs and wonders follow us when the gospel is preached. We don't keep our eyes on the signs and wonders, we keep our eyes on Jesus. Every house church pastor in China is ready to lay down his life for the gospel. When we live this way, we'll see God do great things by his grace. One of the most difficult things I have struggled with in recent years is being away from my dear mother. When she was in her early 70s, my mother suffered a paralyzing stroke that made her lose consciousness. After conducting a series of tests, the doctors declared her condition hopeless and said she would never recover. I was told her death was imminent, but I was in prison at the time and unable to visit her. She was taken back to our home to die. The believers gathered around and prayed for her. Immediately, in front of a room full of people, she regained consciousness and began praising God. She recovered her strength and visited me in prison. She told me that if it were not for God's mercy, I would never have seen her face again. A few years later, in September 1996, one year before I left China, I received a phone call while I was away preaching in a different province. I was told my mother had again suffered a stroke and was partially paralyzed. I immediately left the meeting and caught a train to Hunan. Arriving at the hospital, I saw my mother's facial muscles were badly contorted and she appeared pale. My mother opened her eyes and in a whisper told us she wanted to be dressed in white funeral clothes as she was going to meet Jesus. During that visit, however, the Lord clearly showed me her illness would not lead to death. I fervently prayed over my mother with great authority, rebuking the illness in Jesus' name. She felt strength flow into her body and she got up out of bed and walked around the room. Her face became normal. When the doctors came into the room, they were completely speechless. In the summer of 1998, after I had arrived in Europe, my mother became gravely ill for the third time. On this occasion, everyone was sure she was going to die. Even my own family had given up hope and dressed her in her funeral clothes. They even purchased a coffin and had it delivered to our house. I had been so close to my mother all my life. We had experienced so much together, good times and suffering. When I received this news, I was on the other side of the world, preaching far away in Switzerland. I called my home in China and asked for the phone to be placed close to my mother's ear. I asked her, Mama, are you listening? Jesus loves you, and he will heal you. As soon as she heard the words, Jesus loves you, she got up out of bed and started to dance on the floor in triumph. Once again, the Lord spared her and brought her back from the clutches of death. Finally, while I was in Germany on the 5th of December 2000, I received a call from China. My mother had passed into the presence of Jesus. I longed to go to her funeral, but I couldn't enter China without being arrested for all my past crimes. I wept and thanked God for the mother he had given me and for the many struggles she had endured for the sake of the gospel. Like a sailing boat in a storm, she had been buffeted through years of trials and tribulations, but now she had safely reached the peaceful harbor. I was comforted in my grief when I received a videotape of the funeral. Hundreds of house church believers attended, including all the top leaders. Some brothers and sisters I hadn't seen for years, including many of the leaders mentioned in this book, came to honor my mother. Attending the funeral was a great risk to the leaders as the authorities were hunting many of them. Some had been on the run for years and their names are listed among the most wanted criminals in all of China. Yet they couldn't stay away. They all came back to Nanyang County in southern Hunan province to honor my mother in the place God had first touched us all those years ago. At the funeral service, Brother Shu stood up and said, Although Brother Yun, his wife and his two children are not able to attend his mother's funeral today, all of us gathered here are her children in the Lord. I thanked God for my mother. I remembered how he had reached down from heaven twenty-six years earlier and chosen to bless my mother and then us, even though we were poor and despised, living in a small, insignificant corner of China. I thought about how the Lord had moved so powerfully since that day through our own family but also through thousands of others, so that today there are millions of believers just in Hunan province and many tens of millions distributed throughout China. I remembered how, when I was still just a teenager, my mother had prayerfully committed me to world mission. This was impossible in those days when China's borders were firmly closed, yet in faith she believed God could do the impossible and her prayer was answered. The biggest regret I have is that I never got to say goodbye properly to my mother. The last time I saw her was after my prison escape. I knew my family and I would not be able to return home for a long time. My mother's last words to me in person were, Son, when will you return? I wanted to comfort her so I said, Soon, Mama. Soon.
1: De Ling When we arrived in Myanmar, we didn't have any preconceived ideas about what would happen. I knew if God wanted us to go forward, then we'd go forward, and if he wanted us to stay there, we would stay. It was actually quite a good time for me. I had fellowship with brothers and sisters every day, and the children and I finally established routines in our lives after such a crazy few years on the run in China. Since 1996, we'd been asking the Lord to create a more peaceful environment, so that we might have a more normal family life. When it looked as if we were going to be stuck in Myanmar for a while, Isaac and Eileen were enrolled in a local school. I feel our children really developed in Myanmar, and I'm so proud of them. Isaac is a very smart boy. All we can say is that God has done something special in his life. When Isaac was in my womb, Yun was fasting for seventy-four days without food or water. For the first four years of Isaac's life, his father was in prison. In a way, I believe the Heavenly Father fathered Isaac, because his earthly father was suffering for Jesus, and God himself educated Isaac because he was not allowed to attend school for extended periods while Yun was in prison. Teachers and students have humiliated Isaac, and he has been through experiences that few boys his age have had to endure. He has been on the run with us as we fled from the police, and he then crossed into a foreign country where he couldn't speak the language. When we arrived in Myanmar, neither Isaac nor Eileen could speak a word of Burmese, which is not similar to Chinese in any way. God helped them to learn the language remarkably quickly, and less than 18 months after arriving in the country, Isaac was one of the top students in his school. He was even awarded a special honor. His name was published in the newspaper, which worried us, because we were not even meant to be in the country and were trying to keep a low profile. After all Isaac has been through, it's amazing that he is normal at all. Yet today he can speak the Mandarin, Yunnanese, Burmese, Lisu, Jingpo, and German languages. He's so smart because God personally educated him in response to our desperate cries for help. Isaac loves the Lord with all his heart. At his graduation from Bible school, he stood up and announced, I consecrate myself to serve God for the rest of my life. Eileen is a special gift from God. She has a tender heart for the Lord, but also a fiery and strong personality. All she wants to do is serve Jesus. She has compassion for people and is willing to stand for the truth and never compromise. You and I have been most blessed by the children God has given us.
0: Chapter 26 A NEW KIND OF PERSECUTION In September 2000, I traveled to Canada to begin an intense three-week speaking schedule. Meetings in different cities were arranged for each evening. I was excited at the chance to share what God has done in China with believers throughout Canada and to encourage the Canadian Church to become partners with us in taking the Gospel back to Jerusalem. The night before I flew to Toronto, I received a vivid dream from the Lord. I saw myself inside a room in a church, preparing the message I was about to preach. I opened my Bible and discovered all my notes were missing. As I was thinking about where they might be, I took my wallet out of my pocket and placed it on my open Bible. Suddenly, a rat appeared from a hole in the wall behind me. In a flash, it ate my wallet and returned to its hole. I felt that the attack was from an evil spirit in the form of a rat, rather than an actual rat. In my dream, I was angry and found a long iron bar. I thrust it into the hole, seeking to kill the rat. I felt the bar strike the back of the hole and thought I must have killed the rat. I pulled the bar out of the hole and the rat came out also. The instant the rat came out of the wall, it changed into a rooster. The rooster crowed and jumped around, making a loud noise and thrashing its wings. I swung my iron bar at it. The moment I struck it on the head, it changed into a seductive evil spirit In the appearance of a long haired woman. She cowered and protested, Why are you hitting me? I'm just a person like you. I don't understand why you're persecuting me. Please let me go. I replied, I don't care who you are. You've stolen my notes and the wallet from my Bible. I tried to block the woman's access to the door so she couldn't get away. Knowing I was dealing with a demon and not an actual woman, in my dream I struck the woman and she fell to the floor unconscious. Then I awoke. I was puzzled at the dream, so I asked the Lord to reveal its meaning. After arriving in Canada, I shared this dream with my co-workers and pondered what it meant. At breakfast, I told my translator, The Lord showed me that someone is trying to take the Word of God out of my hands and is trying to steal financial support for the work of the house churches. I'm about to be attacked spiritually. When we stand up against it, there will be two different demonic responses. First, like the rooster in my dream, will meet with a loud and aggressive reaction. Later, a seductive spirit will try to reason with us, pleading its innocence and trying to stop our ministry for the Lord through lies and deceit. On the second day in Toronto, I was scheduled to speak on a Christian television program. After the interview, a brother approached us with a printed article that had been sent to him by email. His face was pale and his demeanor serious. Brother Yoon, he said, We need to sit down. I have some bad news to share with you. Through our translator, the contents of the article, written by a Christian journalist in California, were read to me. The story had been sent around the world that very morning to thousands of readers. I'd never met the writer or even heard of him, yet, quoting an unnamed Chinese informant, he proceeded to tear into me with a vicious attack. He said my miraculous escape from prison in 1997 was a lie that my claims of fasting seventy-four days without food or water in prison were fabricated, that my legs had never been smashed, and that I was not a representative or elder of the Sinem Fellowship. There were two parts of the article that hurt most. It revealed my family was hiding in Myanmar, which placed them at great risk. I feared for their safety. Not only was I concerned that the Myanmar authorities would read the article and start searching for them, but the Chinese government would also love to have them sent back to China and punished. I had been looking forward to spending Christmas with my family in Myanmar. The previous year, 1999, was the first Christmas in thirteen years I'd been able to spend with my wife and children. I had been in prison for seven of those Christmases, and on the run from the authorities or otherwise indisposed at Christmas for five additional years. Now, because the article publicly revealed my family's whereabouts, it looked as if I wouldn't be able to travel to Myanmar for Christmas. I was deeply upset. The second part of the article that hurt was the accusation, He is the most likely Judas who sold out the top-level leaders in the crackdown of 1999. He has caused division and damage to the house-church activities inside China. When I heard these words, my heart was pierced with grief. Ever since the Lord revealed Himself to me in 1974, I had, by the grace of God, never betrayed any other believer in China. I'd spent many years being tortured in prison for the very reason that I refused to be a Judas to the body of Christ. I thanked the Lord for preparing me in advance through my previous night's dream of the rat, rooster, and woman. Over the next few days, our whole Canadian trip was thrown into jeopardy as Christian leaders read the article and considered cancelling our meetings. Within 24 hours, various Chinese house church leaders, including all the elders of the Sinan Fellowship, were notified of the situation. Signed statements from well known leaders such as Xu Yongzhe and Zhang Rongliang were faxed out of China, stating that these accusations were completely groundless, and confirming that I was an elder and authorized representative of the Sinim Fellowship. In the days after this attack, which appears to have been carefully timed to coincide with the start of our Canadian preaching trip, I struggled with this new form of persecution. In China, I had been used to beatings, torture with electric batons, and all kinds of humiliation. I guessed that deep in my heart I had presumed that now that I was in the West, my days of persecution had ended. I couldn't understand how someone who had never met me could write such a nasty article. I complained to my Christian friends, Why don't these people call us and read the documents? I don't understand. Why don't they find the truth out for themselves? It's right here for them to see. My translator told me, Brother Yun, these people don't want to know the truth. That's why they're not calling you or wanting to meet you. In China, Christians are persecuted with beatings and imprisonment. In the West, Christians are persecuted by the words of other Christians. This new kind of spiritual persecution was no easier than physical persecution in China, just different. I cried out in prayer, asking the Lord for his strength. I forgave the people behind this attack from the bottom of my heart, and we continued our trip. As we traveled to Winnipeg, Edmonton and other Canadian cities the Lord moved powerfully, and many churches and believers joined the Chinese house churches in prayer and partnership. Brother Xu We were concerned when we heard that Brother Yun had been slandered and attacked while ministering in the West, so the elders of the Sinem Fellowship of house church leaders in China wrote this letter in support of him. Brother Yun is a servant of God and is one of the five elders of the Sinim fellowship of the house churches of china the bible clearly states do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses 1 timothy chapter 5 verse 19 we hereby testify as a whole how brother yun has served us as a witness to christ's sufferings and is a faithful servant to the lord he is a soldier of christ anointed by the holy spirit a warrior for truth a pioneer of the gospel in this age. His service has strongly witnessed the presence of the Holy Spirit. In 1996, the Lord used him to start the Sinem Fellowship of the House Churches of China. Not only is he one of the five elders, he is also a faithful, honest, truth-loving, reliable, pure, and God-fearing servant of God. He has a good reputation outside the church, and is a good son, good husband, and a good father. We hereby witness how he often tries to have an attitude the same as that of Christ Jesus. This is why we are claiming that he is blameless before God. Praying with one accord, the house churches support the servant of God in his service around the world, and may he be a blessing to the house of the Lord from the east to the west. We can summarize his testimony in one word, genuine. The elders of the Synem Fellowship and many co-workers earnestly pray and testify for him in the Lord, supporting all of his services in full and backing him up. As we have proclaimed, he has the authorization to fully represent the Sinem Fellowship throughout five continents, Europe, America, Africa, Australasia, and Asia. May the Chinese and overseas churches who are members of the body of Christ work together as one and build up one another, so that the gospel of Jesus Christ will be spread all over the world quickly, even back to Jerusalem. Amen. Yun There are many ways the Lord may lead a Christian during his or her life, but I'm convinced that the path of every believer will sooner or later include suffering, The Lord gives us these trials to keep us humble and dependent on Him for our sustenance. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered in His body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. I believe when suffering and pain increases, sinning decreases. I've certainly not yet reached the point of being done with sin, I still complain to the Lord when I suffer. How we mature as a Christian largely depends on the attitude we have when we're faced with suffering. Some try to avoid it or imagine it doesn't exist, but that will only make the situation worse. Others try to endure it grimly, hoping for relief. This is better but falls short of the full victory God wants to give each of His children. The Lord wants us to embrace suffering as a friend. We need a deep realization that when we're persecuted for Jesus' sake, it is an act of God's blessing to us. This might sound impossible, but it is attainable with God's help. That is why Jesus said, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Matthew chapter 5 verses 11-12 through 12. We can grow to such a place in Christ where we laugh and rejoice when people slander us. Because we know we are not of this world, but our security is in heaven. The more we are persecuted for His sake, the more reward we will receive in heaven. When people malign you, rejoice and be glad. When they curse you, bless them in return. When you walk through a painful experience, embrace it and you will be free. When you learn these lessons, there's nothing left that the world can do to you. God is my witness that through all the tortures and beatings I've received I have never hated my persecutors never I saw them as God's instruments of blessing and his chosen vessels to purify me and make me more like Jesus Sometimes western visitors come to China and ask the house church leaders what seminary they attended we reply jokingly yet with underlying seriousness that we have been trained in the Holy Spirit Personal Devotion Bible School prison for many years Sometimes our Western friends don't understand what we mean because they then ask, What materials do you use in this Bible school? We reply, Our only materials are the foot chains that bind us and the leather whips that bruise us. In this prison seminary we have learned many valuable lessons about the Lord that we could never have learned from a book. We've come to know God in a deeper way. We know His goodness and His loving faithfulness to us. Christians who are in prison for the sake of the Lord are not the ones who are suffering. When people hear my testimony, they often say, Well, you must have had a terrible time when you were in prison. I respond, What are you talking about? I was with Jesus and had overwhelming joy and peace in His intimate presence. The people who really suffer are those who never experience God's presence. The way to have God's presence is by walking through hardship and suffering, the way of the cross. You may not be beaten or imprisoned for your faith, but I am convinced each Christian will still have a cross to bear in his or her life. In the West it may be ridicule, slander, or rejection. When you're faced with such trials the key is not to run from them or fight them, but to embrace them as friends. When you do this you'll not fail to experience God's presence and help. When a child of God suffers you need to understand the Lord has allowed it he has not forgotten you. The devil cannot snatch you away. Jesus made this beautiful promise to his children. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. John chapter 10 verses 27 through 29. The first time I went to prison I struggled, wondering why God had allowed it. Slowly, I began to understand he had a deeper purpose for me than just working for him. He wanted to know me, and I to know him deeply and intimately. He knew the best way to get my attention for a while was to give me rest behind bars. Whenever I hear a house church Christian has been imprisoned for Christ in China, I don't advise people to pray for his or her release unless the Lord clearly reveals we should pray this way. Before a chicken is hatched, it is vital it is kept in the warm protection of the shell for 21 days. If you take the chick out of that environment one day too early, it will die. Similarly, ducks need to remain confined in their shell for 28 days before they are hatched. If you take a duck out on the 27th day, it will die. There is always a purpose behind why God allows His children to go to prison. Perhaps it's so they can witness to other prisoners, or perhaps God wants to develop more character in their lives. But if we use our own efforts to get them out of prison earlier than God intended, we can thwart His plans, and the believers may come out not as fully formed as God wanted them to be. I'm often asked about the rights of pastors in China. A pastor has no rights, except the rights of a slave. Everyone in this world is a slave. They're either slaves to sin, or slaves of Christ. Our rights are in the hands of Jesus. We must fall on our knees in complete dependence on Him. Christians in China appreciate whenever believers around the world try to help them during times of imprisonment or persecution, but all efforts to help need to be bathed in prayer and rooted in God's will, otherwise it only seems to make things worse. The world can do nothing to a Christian who has no fear of man. Chapter 27 A Sudden Change of Plans My wife and children had been living in Myanmar almost two years when finally, at the start of 2001, a plan was initiated to bring them out to Thailand and then to Germany, where we hoped to restart our life together. The German government granted permission for them to join me and assured us they would receive the same refugee status as I did. Because they were so long in Myanmar, a friend had helped us get Burmese ID cards. Numerous Chinese people were being rounded up all the time in northern Myanmar and sent back to China because they didn't have the correct identification. This was the last thing we wanted to happen to our family because we were still wanted by the authorities in our homeland. We didn't think too much about it at the time, but later we realized our ID cards were not issued legally. In February 2001, I flew into Myanmar for one last time. My family was excited and all preparations had been made for our departure. Dulling, Isaac, and Eileen were to fly to a town near the Thai border, where they would cross by land into Thailand. I was to travel on ahead and meet them there. As with most things in our lives, our plans went awfully wrong. Two nights before I was to leave Myanmar, I received a vivid dream from the Lord. I saw my family and me leaving Myanmar. Isaac went on ahead. He was very nervous as he crossed the border, yet he passed through customs and left the country safely next in the dream it was my turn to pass through customs the official asked for my passport and told me to open my bags he found my burmese identity card and ordered me into an interrogation room in the dream i saw the face of the customs official and also noticed the interrogation room was very poor and run down i awoke from my dream and saw it was just before 5 o'clock in the morning i told duling the Lord has shown me that if we are not careful, we'll encounter trouble when we leave this country. We should pray more and ask the Lord to protect us. I also told Isaac the contents of my dream and told him to pray fervently. He left later in the day flying to the border town of Tachalek in northeast Myanmar. Duling and Eileen were to join him the next day and together they were to cross the border into Thailand. Incredibly, just minutes after Isaac's plane touched down, a war broke out in Tachalek between the Burmese military and the Shan Independence Army. Fierce fighting, shelling and gunfire erupted. All flights to Tachalek were cancelled for weeks. Isaac was cut off from us and there was no way to go to him. The same day I'd received the dream from the Lord, I shared it with the students at the Bible school where we were staying and asked them to pray. With one voice the students all assured me, Dear Brother Yun, there will be no problem. It's easy to cross the border. You have nothing to fear. I started to feel confident that nothing bad would happen. My wife, whom I thank God for giving an honest and wise heart, warned me You shouldn't be so positive about this. God has warned you and you must heed it. Make sure you leave your ID card with me. If you take it, you'll surely find trouble. I rejected my wife's advice and ignored the dream from the Lord. The previous months had been a hectic time of ministry i traveled to many nations and spoken in hundreds of meetings. My mother had recently died and I was still dealing with the grief and pain of her departure. I was burned out and needed a time of rest and refreshing. In my sorry state, I had great confidence in my own strength and abilities. The Lord needed to teach me a lesson and humble me. He taught me that if we trust in any kind of resource except Him, we will fail. I had placed too much trust in my German passport. Deep down in my heart, I somehow believed my passport would protect me from harm and help me overcome problems. When I look back on what happened in Myanmar, I fully realize one thing God will never change his principles for any person. If you disobey his principles, then you will surely fall into trouble. Because I disobeyed the Lord, I fell into trouble. The next morning, I entered the customs hall at the Yangon. Rangoon International Airport, before boarding my flight to Thailand. Immediately I started to feel uneasy. The scene before me was exactly the same as in my dream. The very same officer as in my dream looked at my passport and told me to open my bags. He saw my Burmese ID card and immediately his countenance grew serious. He took me into a side room and ordered me to wait. Straight away, I realized I was in the same run-down interrogation room that the Lord had shown me in the dream. Because of the outbreak of war in Shan State, the airport authorities were on high alert for anything suspicious. When they found my false identity card and realized I couldn't speak Burmese or even English, they presumed I was somehow connected to the Shan fighters. They paid no attention to my German passport because they were certain it was counterfeit. As I waited in that lonely room, my heart filled with grief and remorse as I began to repent to the Lord for my pride and disobedience. I cried out and sobbed great tears and prayed, Lord, I'm sorry I paid no attention to your warning. I now accept whatever punishment you have in store for me. This was the second time I'd been arrested because I was burned out and my ears were closed to hearing the Lord's warning. My second imprisonment in China in 1991 also came about because I was burned out and trusted in my own strength. I didn't learn my lesson well. If you are a worker in God's kingdom or ever hope to serve the Lord, Let me warn you from the words I wrote down in my notebook that day while I was waiting in the airport interrogation room. In large letters I wrote, Beware, beware, beware. God's worker must never, ever disobey God's principles. Those Christians who have a public ministry are most in danger of falling into trouble because they can easily be tempted to listen to the applause and praise of men. If you are a preacher, beware. You must cry out and ask God to help you listen only to His voice, not to the crowds of people who pat you on the back and place you on a pedestal. God's principles are often the opposite of your own. While we hope people will like and accept us, Jesus taught, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Luke chapter 6 verse 26 Never be satisfied with God's calling or His gifts in your life. Be satisfied with Jesus Christ Himself. Many people hear God's voice calling them to catch fish for the kingdom of God. The disciples heard Jesus say, Let us go over to the other side. Mark chapter 4 verse 35 They then rowed out onto the lake, taking him along, just as he was, in the boat. Verse 36 Jesus was soon asleep, and a fierce storm arose. As you go out into your ministry, make sure Jesus isn't asleep on your boat. You can try to row your boat or operate your ministry in your own strength, but you'll not get far while Jesus is sleeping. The disciples found that the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Verse 37 Wake Jesus up, and make Him the Lord and Master of everything you do. Too many churches and ministries have welcomed Jesus into their midst in the past, but today they are operating in their own strength and plans while Jesus sleeps in their midst. Soon, three guards from the airport police entered the interrogation room and began to ask me stern questions in Burmese and English. I couldn't understand a word they said, which seemed to make them angrier. They searched my bags and found some personal photo albums from my family's time in Myanmar, including pictures of an orphanage, of some friends, and some of rural scenes. These photos convinced the police I was an overseas spy or a reporter, and they started to treat me roughly. My passport showed I'd been in Myanmar eight times over the past two years. These eight visits had been to see my family, but to the police, this was firm proof that I was involved in illegal activities. They also found a number of name cards of Christian leaders I knew. The next day several pastors throughout the country were interrogated by the authorities as they attempted to find out who I really was. As soon as the authorities realized my family had been living in northern Myanmar, they started to search for them. The police told me, We'll easily find where your family is hiding and they'll face the same punishment as you. At that time, I had no idea that my wife's and daughter's flights had been cancelled and all my family were still inside Myanmar. I told the police, I assure you that my family is no longer in your country. They've already left for Germany where the government has officially welcomed them. When the interrogators saw how confident I was, they believed my family must have already left. My hands were handcuffed behind my back and I was made to stand on one leg. From eleven o'clock in the morning of my arrest to five o'clock in the afternoon of the next day, a total of thirty hours, they beat me severely with long sticks and repeatedly kicked me. My arms and legs, back, private parts, and my neck and head were bruised and bloodied from being beaten mercilessly. Even when I changed the leg I was standing on they would beat me, shouting, "'Who gave you permission to stand on your other leg?' It was extremely hot and humid in that room. For 30 hours I wasn't offered a single drop of water or any food. My lips were chapped and my dry throat screamed for water, but none was given me. The few times I needed to go to the toilet, the police wrapped a shirt around my head to conceal my identity from people outside the interrogation room. As the long hours wore on I tried my best to stand on one leg as the police continued to vent their fury on my body. I tried to block out the pain and focus on the Lord Jesus. I thought of how my sufferings were in stark contrast to the sufferings of Jesus. The Lord was beaten because he obeyed God's will, whereas I was being beaten because I disobeyed God's will. In one respect, the beatings were not as bad as I've experienced in China because the Burmese do not use electric batons. Yet, because I was suspected of being a spy during wartime, they didn't hold back anything. I knew if they continued I would surely be beaten to death yet in my heart I felt it was not my time to go to heaven yet I cried many tears and my heart was heavy from the depths of my soul I cried out my lord why have you forsaken me will you not use me any more I'm so sorry please share your heart with me father even as they beat me I repented of my sin and waves of the lord's forgiveness washed over me a picture flashed into my spirit from the lord I saw Moses tending sheep in the wilderness all alone and with no one to speak to. I immediately understood that Moses had to be faithful tending his sheep in isolation before God could trust him to speak to Pharaoh's court. In the same way, God wanted to see if I would be faithful in this foreign country where I could not communicate with anyone, before he would release me to speak before crowds of people in his name again. I was greatly comforted. The Lord had not forsaken me. After the beatings came to an end, I was placed in a prison cell. The first thing I wrote in my journal was, God, I thank you for your righteousness. God, I thank you for your faithfulness. God, I thank you for your mercy. From the depths of my heart, I praise and thank you.